Yo, what's up, dudes? Credit Show on Dirt, live from the Sweet Bee Studios. Today is Monday, April 8th. How is everybody doing? How was your Monday? I hope it was good. I hope, uh, yeah, you know, I hope you recovered well from the weekend. I went to Top Golf on Saturday and hit a bunch of golf balls like they were baseballs. It was awesome. And I had so much greasy food, it took me a full day to recover, which that's how I think I know I'm old. Because, right, 35 isn't 25, and I didn't have one drink at Top Golf on Saturday night, but yet I woke up Sunday feeling like I was hungover, and it's only because my body's not prepared to eat all of that food. Every appetizer, burgers, you name it, but Top Golf was awesome, man. I honestly felt like Juan Gonzalez at Top Golf, and I know, like, it's not the appropriate way to swing at a golf ball, but you know, I like to do a high leg kick. I do adopt some uh, launch angle activity in there, and I like to know that I have a high exit velocity, so I basically just swing as hard as I can, which means, you know, if you're not first, you're last, right? That's the mentality that I adopt in my life, period. If you ain't first, you're last. That's how it is with Top Golf. That's how it is at my job, and that's how it is on this podcast, right? Either I've got a really good podcast or an awful one, and I mean, let's be honest, if you've paid attention to any of my baseball takes, you know they're pretty much really hot or freezing cold, and there's just nothing in between that's like halfway decent, and oddly enough, that's how a lot of baseball teams are these days. There are a lot of hot teams out there, but a lot of freezing cold teams out there. Like, for example, the Chicago Cubs, they've they've won two games in three days, dude, so stop traffic. I'm not saying that the Cubs are back, but they're at a plus one run differential and they're next to last in the NL Central. And that's only because the Cincinnati Reds, dude, are an absolute train wreck. They fought the Pirates yesterday. The Cincinnati Reds fought the Pittsburgh Pirates yesterday. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's like watching like a washed up Mike Tyson fight like a washed up I don't know, name like another boxer out there. Like, it's just like, dude, (laughs) here's what it is. Watching the Pittsburgh Pirates fight the Cincinnati Reds is like watching two fat people fight outside of a Walmart. Like, it's like, come on, man. Like, dude, that's what that is, man. So you just want to sit and watch and sort of laugh at the same time. And like, I mean, no disrespect to either of those teams. Well, actually, that's a lot of disrespect. My apologies, man. I'm just here to tell the story, dude. But basically what happened is, so Chris Archer, man, I love Chris Archer, dude. He's one of my favorite baseball personalities. He did a podcast on with uh, the Yahoo Baseball podcast like last year, dude, when he was still with the Tampa Bay Rays, dude. And everything he had to say was phenomenal. One of the favorite things he said... um, that I love the most was he was just talking about like, I you know, I don't know what he was talking about, but he was basically like any problem you have can be solved with love. And I love that statement, man, because honestly, that's how I like come into this podcast and record because I know I'm not the best at recording a podcast, dude. This isn't like some sort of fancy production, but I do try to do it with love, man. I try to have a good time. I try to say words into this dumb mic that somebody might enjoy. So like I love his mantra, and I I love who he is as a person, right? You might not want him on your fantasy baseball team because you don't know what he's going to give you, but when he was with Tampa Bay, 
And Derek Dietrich, he was a floor, he was a Miami Marlin last year, right? So the Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays, they'll generally play a couple handfuls of games a year because they're a couple Florida teams, so they'll get down on their interleague thing. And Chris Archer last year struck out Derek Dietrich like four times in one game. And one of those strikeouts, he kind of moonwalked and hopped off the pitcher's mound because he was really feeling himself. And honest to God, it was a celebration. So Chris Archer struck out Derek Diedrich and really celebrated it, right? So, and you know, right? Derek knew that Chris Archer pretty much owned him his whole career. So, dude, if you have not seen this, man, I'll post it on my social media. But, like, just go to MLB.com and look for it. So, Derek Dietrich, the Reds are in, I think they were in Pittsburgh. And Derek Dietrich hits a home run off Chris Archer and hits it, right? And do you know when Ken Griffey Jr. would hit a home run? And he would, like, hit his home run and would do, like, this badass, like, James Dean strut kind of like taking like four or five walking steps to first before he was jog- before he would like start jogging. Coolest thing ever, and it was never disrespectful because Ken Griffey Jr. is cooler than you'll ever be in your life. I mean, me included. But Derek hits this home run, dude, and he like leans back, has this smirk on his face, and Derek Dietrich, he's a pretty badass looking dude, right? And he's got tats on him and stuff like that, and he stares at the home run, and you think he's about to strut because he's got this badass look on his face, but no, he stands in the batter's box and watches the ball go over the wall. And just when you think Derek Dietrich is about to start walking to first, he continues to stand in the batter's box and watch his home run. Then he trots around the bases, touches home plate. Francisco Cervelli gets like pretty angry at him. And then the Cincinnati Reds manager comes out of the dugout and then <laughs> Yasiel Puig, the wild horse, named, you know, Vince Scully gave him the name. Vin Scully, and he called him the wild horse, man. He called Puig the wild horse because I don't know if there's a better way to describe Yasiel Puig, right? He's a madman, and I'm totally not surprised that it took nine games of the Major League Baseball season as him being a Cincinnati Red to get involved in a fight. He comes running out of the dugout, and he didn't throw a punch, but he was pushing people hardcore, and Yasiel Puig is a big dude, man, and I don't mean big like CeCe Sabathia big, like, Yasiel Puig, he does bicep curls, right? He's a big dude. And that was just a scuffle. Like, five dudes got ejected. And then the game kept going. Then Derek Dietrich hit a second home run, <laughs> strutted again. And these guys are going to, for real, fight UFC style. But I loved it, man. And, you know, some of the questions I got was sort of like, um, you know, like my reaction on the play. Because it seems like every Major League Baseball season, we get this. We get, you know, a pitcher getting upset or a hitter getting upset because one of the, you know, because somebody has celebrated a little too much for one's liking. And there's always conversation around this and people will gripe about the unwritten rules in baseball, this, that, or the other. Basically, my reaction to this is I have no problem with any of this that's ever transpired. If I'm looking for a person that's like in the wrong, I'm not going to give you one, right? 
but I can tell you this, nobody was wrong. Derek Dietrich hitting a home run and standing and gloating in the batter's box, he did absolutely nothing wrong because Chris Archer struck him out and celebrated his strikeout, right? A pitcher will celebrate on the mound and get pumped up, and we generally don't have a problem with that. But when a hitter does it, especially even a guy like Puig, if he does it, everyone wants to hate Yasiel Puig if he celebrates anything but like we don't but like if Madison Bumgarner or Clayton Kershaw pump their fist in a strikeout we don't care but like Puig or like Derek Dietrich all of a sudden they're getting pitches thrown behind him so after Derek hit that home run Chris Archer threw behind him and I don't have a problem with that either man a lot of this in competition there's going to be so much give and take and um, there's a ton of emotion and just a ton of drive, right, in these baseball games. Competition is heated. This is the highest level of baseball you can play in the world. So I have, I have no problem with any of this. So I'm not going to sit here on this podcast and go over, like, written rules or unwritten rules and say pitchers shouldn't throw at hitters. You know, a lot of people do feel that way. They'll tell you a pitcher should never throw at a hitter. I, I don't care, man. If you're a pitcher and you throw it, my guy, I'm a Cubs guy, right? You know this. Wilson Contreras, he's a busybody out on the baseball field, man. He's He'll probably get thrown at a few times in his career, right? I'll always stick up for my guy, but this is competition, dude. I don't have a problem with a pitcher throwing at a hitter. You know, don't throw at a guy's head and Guess what? Pitchers don't throw at guys' heads. It doesn't happen. I think Dellen Batantas did it on accident a couple years ago, but and he had a reason to throw at a guy. But to watch Dellen Batantas pitch, I, I believe he said post-game, Dellen, after he hit this guy in the head on the Tigers, he's like, I didn't do that on purpose. And if you've ever seen Dellen Batanza's pitch, you believe him because he's all over the place. He's the one guy for, like, money. I would not step in the batter's box and let him throw a pitch at me without putting on, like, full body armor and, like, a football helmet on, but backwards so I couldn't see the pitch coming at my face. I just wouldn't do it. But, yeah, guys, you know, my buddy Justin, man, Justin Johnson, shout out to my boy JJ, man. He listens to the podcast every now and then. And I remember he said like a couple years ago, man, commented on my Facebook for the podcast. He just said, listen, man, this is just the way baseball is, dude. Baseball will police itself. You don't have to go around suspending guys, you know, overly suspending guys or trying to enforce new rules and things like that. Baseball will take care of itself. And quite frankly, he's right. The sport has done so for 140 years. So I'm not going to sit here and blame one person to the other. To be perfectly honest with you, I like these types of interactions, and I never want to see him go away, right? You know, I don't want to see anything malicious. You know, I don't want to see a guy slide into second base and try to break a guy's knee or something like that. But I do like a hard slide, and I think it's part of baseball. You know, baseball is a physical sport, and we've had to adjust our rules, you know, with the second second base collision rule, home plate collision rule, and things like that. And, you know, there I have no problem with any of those rules, and I think they have to be enacted because athletes these days are just so big, you have to adjust for it, right? So baseball's not softening up when we have conversations 
in debates like this. People do openly debate, and I get where people are coming from when they say a pitcher shouldn't throw at a hitter because pitchers throw 100 miles an hour now. Bad pitchers that are only good enough for the bullpen that can only face one guy like every third night they throw 100 miles an hour. They grow on trees more. You know what I mean? But I get it. But baseball players, I mean, I I, I trust the pitcher, man. I, I don't think there's a pitcher out there that can't control his stuff enough to, like, put it in a guy's hip. So when I see Archer throw behind a guy, I'll never sit back and say, whoa, what if Chris hits him in the head? Chris isn't going to hit him in the head, right? It's just not going to happen. And, you know, I, I to go back to all the different rule changes, yeah, you don't want Yasiel Puig, all 6'4", 255 of them, sliding into Buster Posey because, you know, that's going to mean a, a really good baseball player can't play on the field anymore. But the game can still be physical in those terms. But I, I love the gameplay. I really do. I have no problem with Derek staring at his home run. I have absolutely no problem with Archer throwing behind a batter. Truth be told, I love a good beanball. Like I love when CeCe Sabathia put a pitch in a guy's hip last year, but even better, I love when a pitcher throws behind a hitter. That's like the ultimate Randy Johnson, John Crock all-star game moment where he's just like, fuck it. He just throws right behind the guy. It is... Uh, I dig it, man. But the NL Central, man, you know, a lot of it's in shambles. The Brewers, dude, I gave the Brewers zero respect, <laughs> but they look really good. They got a pitcher named Freddie Peralta, man. Look for the guy, dude. I think he threw like seven or eight innings to shut out ball. And then Josh Hader. Oh, my God, dude. Listen, I dug up some wild, <laughs> some crazy Josh Hader stats today, right? So on the last podcast, I think I recorded, I talked a little bit about Jose Alvarado. He's a dominant uh, relief pitcher, and he's actually my favorite player of the week. So I will talk about him, um, but I do want to cover Hader first because I discovered these Josh Hader statistics because I really wanted to know if um, other relievers out there really compared to Josh Hader, right? And the answer is no. Nobody compares to Josh Hader. You know, Josh Hader is uh, like the Mona Lisa of pitchers. He's he's on another planet. He could very well be a space alien, and he is indeed, like I said on the last episode, a T-1000 Terminator, right? He's a cyborg machine, and he throws destruction. And what's crazy about Josh Hader is he only throws 97 miles an hour, man, so he's not the hardest-throwing guy in the league. But it looks to be that he's the hardest guy to hit in all of Major League Baseball. And as a matter of fact, He's only thrown about three pitches that weren't fastballs this year. Nobody can just hit him. 25 batters have faced um, Josh Hader, and only two of them have got on base. Jose Iglesias, he's a Cincinnati Red. He walked, got to save his life. I don't know how he walked. I don't think he can hit very good at all. And then one guy this year has got to hit off Josh Hader. Some guy named Kurt Casale, he's... On the Cincinnati Reds, I don't even think he's an everyday player, and he somehow hit a double off Josh Hader. Well, I highly doubt Josh cared because he just struck everybody else out anyway, but check this out, dude. So Josh Hader has thrown seven and two-thirds innings. The Brewers have played 10 games, and I think Josh Hader, maybe he's only appeared in six of those games, right? But in seven and two-thirds innings, he's already racked up .8 fan graphs war 
Okay. The only person, the only pitcher that has a higher fan graph wins above replacement than Josh Hader, the only pitcher is Jacob DeGrom, who has started two games, and it's Jacob DeGrom. And Jacob DeGrom has a flat 1.0 fan graph score. So they basically, with Josh Hader being 0.2 points behind him, like they're basically both at a one war, but Josh Hader has pitched five and a third less innings than what Jacob DeGrom has. Dude, this is so unbelievable about what Josh Hader's been able to do. You know, the win probability that he's probably been able to add to the Milwaukee Brewers because he is, you know, when you enter the code on Contra for Nintendo and you say BA, BA, up, down, select, start, BA, whatever it is, like that's Josh Hader. And, you know, his number on the back of his jersey should just be that, like the cheat code. And so check this out, man. So... Um, Major League Baseball hitters, these are professional baseball hitters, the best in the world, are hitting .042 against Josh Hader. That's not, they're not batting 100 against him. They're batting 42. It's like, what's your batting average against Josh Hader? 42. You want to be like, 42 what? Like, no, just like 42, like not 100, like less than 100, 42. Like, if you get a hit off Josh Hader, like, I guess go play Powerball, bro. You might get struck by lightning before you get a hit off Josh Hader. Um, he allows, which, because he's only, this number is actually inflated for him probably because he's only thrown about seven innings, but his whip is .26. And what I found to be the most crazy statistic ever, okay? So you have earned run average. Everyone's familiar with that. But fan graphs, they'll publish this number. And um, it's called Fielding Independent Pitching, FIP, FIP. That's what you'll see in the category. And what this number does is it's a more accurate number than earned run average because it plays to... Like, what if every pitcher had the exact same defense behind them and it essentially is sort of like a weighted runs created plus number for a pitcher where it gives it pretends that every pitcher has a level playing field and it takes their and every pitcher has a great defense and it basically tells them hey you know what are these pitchers doing so a fip will accurately compare pitchers right and you don't have to worry about oh what's the defense behind him did they run into bad luck and things like that right so if your ERA is like 2.5, your FIP might be 2.9 if you've got a good defense behind you. Or if you have a crappy defense, your under an average could be uh, 3.5, but your FIP might be 2.5 because your defense is bad, right? So it's almost like what's your real under an average? So Josh Hader doesn't have an ERA because he's not giving up a run. But his FIP right now is negative 0 Point zero one. It's in the negative. It's like Josh Hader pitches so good. The offense that he pitches against owes him a run. They are forever indebted to Josh Hader because he is so dominant. Like that's a stat that you would get on a baseball game for the PlayStation and be like, well, oh, this would never happen, but because I'm playing the computer on easy, this shit happens. Like that's Josh Hader in real life. It's bonkers. Bonkers. Right now he's the most destructive pitcher. And I look if he keeps this up, you might see a reliever win the Cy Young this year. 100%. He threw about 70-something innings last year. And the Milwaukee Brewers, they made it to the NLCS. And they were one game away 
from the World Series. And what I'm looking at right now is this. As important as he is to this team, and you have a lot of voters out there who like are really, it's really starting to sink in how beneficial and how influential Josh Hader is to his team. I would not be surprised. It's obviously early, but we know what we're getting with Josh Hader. And this stuff sort of keeps up. And if the Brewers win their division, you could go ahead and insert Josh Hader in the National League Cy Young conversation because, you know, it, it would be maybe a guy like him, Walker Bueller, and Jack Flaherty. You know, I'm not too sure, but the stuff he does is bonkers. It's pretty wild, dude. Um, and But on top of that, I still don't think he's my favorite pitcher in Major League Baseball. Um, actually, Josh Hader is probably my least favorite pitcher in Major League Baseball because I'm a Cubs fan. But I mean this, like, he's, he's definitely the most dominant reliever in baseball. And if I had to pick a starting pitcher... That would be like the Josh Hader version of a starting pitcher. I would pick Trevor Bauer, right? Trevor Bauer's been in the news. He hasn't said anything bonkers. And he hasn't cut his finger with a drone or anything like that. But last week, Josh Hader got pulled after the seventh inning. He had a no-hitter going. But he had thrown 117 pitches, right? And we do see that often where a guy will get pulled and he'll have a no-hitter. But that pitch count will get high. Now, that... That irks some people, you know, and this is Tito Francona, an old school guy that went ahead and pulled him out, and I don't know that if this happens a lot, but Trevor Bauer totally agreed with Tito Francona, was kind of like, hey man, like, I need to come out of that game, like, in the long haul, it uh, was a good decision, you know, for me to come out of this game, and I tend to agree with it, because it's so early in the year, and at 117 pitches, you know, he, he got that high because he walked six guys. Do I think Trevor Bauer would have ended up throwing a no-hitter with 150 pitches? 100% Trevor Bauer would throw 150 pitches and get a no-hitter. And that's why, to me, Trevor Bauer, I think, is... Okay, let me put this out. I don't think, on paper, Trevor Bauer is not the best starting pitcher in all of Major League Baseball. Jacob DeGrom is. And then probably like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, right? Take those three guys, dude, and they're like the upper echelon. And actually, Blake Snell, dude, I've talked a decent amount of crap about Blake Snell winning the Cy Young last year, and I sort of thought Verlander should have won it because he, he threw more innings and stuff like that, which is part of the reason why his earned run average was a little bit higher. Dude, Blake Snell's doing nothing this year but pitching, walking nobody, and striking out a ton of guys. Dude, super excited right now. I'm pumped what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing right now. They're first place in their division and they're eight and they're eight and three right now. I mean, I love it, dude. They're a plus 19 run differential the whole nine, but back to Bauer, dude, listen to me right now. The reason why I, it's like, I don't think Trevor Bauer is the best pitcher in all of baseball, but Trevor Bauer has that Nolan Ryan, Madison Bumgarner esque drive to where I can say Trevor Bauer isn't the best pitcher in baseball. But if I owned a baseball team and I had one game to win the World Series and I could pick any pitcher I wanted, I would pick Trevor Bauer. So if I knew that I got first pick on a pitcher and whatever pitcher I picked, the team I was playing would get to pick whatever pitchers left. So if I pick Verlander, they might pick Scherzer or vice versa. I would pick... Trevor Bauer, and I would take Trevor Bauer over Justin Verlander, Blake Snell, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Garrett Cole. I would take 
Trevor Bauer over everybody in a winner-take-all one game. My World Series is on the line. My life's on the line. My microwave's on the line, so I can't, like, cook Pop-Tarts in it anymore. Trevor Bauer is my number one guy that I want because I still, man, I'll go on about this all day, but his season is starting to pan out like that, and he is my American League favorite for the National League Cy Young. The only thing that could hold him back is because he plays for the Indians, and I, I just don't know how good they'll play. Like right now, the Indians are six and three. They're playing good ball. I guess they should win their division. But if if you're looking at the American League Central, keep an eye on the Minnesota Twins. Um, what's their pitcher's name? Jose Barrios. Is that his name? You know the pitcher I'm talking about. Barrio something. They've, uh, I should really know this because I have a podcast, right? Like I'm supposed to be the guy you're listening to. Jose Barrios, that's his name. I'm almost positive. And then they got a pitcher named Kyle Gibson and then they got Michael Pineda. Twins have good pitching, but it's like the Indians won't be as bad as what the Mets were last year. So it's almost like Trevor Bauer could end up with like 14 wins. And, you know, Jacob DeGrom, we had no problem with him winning the Cy Young last year because his numbers were so good and his team sucked so bad. And it's almost like the Cleveland Indians could be a little too good but not great where it could keep Trevor Bauer from winning the Cy Young. But he is my favorite just because I think he's got more guts than any pitcher in Major League Baseball right now. He's a guy that speaks his mind. He's 100% honest. I, I don't like him as like a person, but I love him as a professional pitcher. I actually might like him as a person. He had an interview the other day, and the guy interviewing Bauer goes, hey, man, so um, if you could rule the world, like what would you do? And Trevor's answer was, I would remove myself from office because I'm unfit to rule the world. So it's almost just like, yep, that's Trevor Bauer, man. He's for sure unfit to rule the world. He can sure throw a baseball, man. But one of the most interesting things about him, man, is he's so intellectual when it comes to how he throws his pitches and the way he spins his pitches. He's uh, he's Albert Einstein, but he throws a baseball because he's real into the science of spin rate, how a pitch breaks, the way he studies. He's got all of that like trackman equipment in his house. At his home, the guy has like fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment that just studies the way he throws a baseball, man. And I I think it's awesome, dude. So, you know, when you look at data in today's game, you know, a lot of it's pretty boring because we get a lot of platoon shit and pitcher changes. But without all this technology, you wouldn't get a guy like Trevor Bauer. And there's so much more to him than, you know, being a dick on Twitter and cutting his finger with a drone, man. He's, he's a really intelligent, intellectual pitcher. And he he's so fun to watch pitch. And I just love the fact that, He's got this old school mentality of, you know, seven innings, 117 pitches. And he was just kind of like, whatever, you know, he's all about doing whatever he can to help his team win. And if Tito wanted him to stay in the game, Trevor would have stayed in the game and thrown 140 pitches. And he didn't want him to stay in the game. And it's like Trevor Bauer doesn't care, man. He, um, I think he's a selfless player, dude. I don't think he's a selfish dude at all. And, you know, that portion of it I like as well, man. But Trevor Bauer is sort of my guy right now, man. I'm still on with it, dude. And honest to God, man, with the Indians, you know, Frankie Lindor, you know, he's kind of on the shelf because he's injured right now. And Jose Ramirez, I think, is just getting to the swing of things because I believe Jose Ramirez, who is a way better player than what you think, I think he was hurt. I think he got hurt in spring training, right? But the 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 starting pitching for the Cleveland Indians, it's unbelievably 
bonkers right now. Okay. And you always look at like Corey Kluber, but Corey Kluber is still going to be good this year. And he was good last year. Corey Kluber probably won 18 games and had a sub three ERA. But right now, listen, Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger, dude, I don't know. If you know who Mike Clevenger is, I don't know how much Indians baseball you watch, right? I don't watch any, but I'm on my phone and my computer all day, and I just read box scores, right? Mike Clevenger is a starting pitcher. Mike Clevenger pitched... <laughs> hold on, hold on. Mike Clevenger strikes out 52.4% of the guys he faces, and he's a starter. See, usually inflated strikeout numbers... You'll get that crap with like relievers, right? Like a Roldis Chapman, Josh Hader, Jose Alvarado, right? They'll strike out 15% of guys or however, 45, 50% of guys because like they're relievers, right? So they can go in there, get the three outs, throw 110 and like let it be done, man. But Mike Clevenger is like legit pitching innings this year and is striking out 52.4% of guys over 14 innings of work right now. Like that's bonkers. And no. Mike Clevenger's thrown 12 innings and struck out 22 guys, and that comes out to 52.4% of batters. And with bonkers, dude, it's like Bauer and Clevenger have pitched 26 innings combined, and they've only given up three hits. That's it. Three hits in 26 innings. That's Clevenger and Bauer. That's what they've done, dude. Um, I don't have an ERA plus number on Clevenger right now. Baseball reference hasn't updated that number, but (laughs) baseball reference says that right now, Trevor Bauer's ERA plus is 646, which means he's 546% better than the average pitcher in Major League Baseball. That's probably pretty crazy, dude. Um, Hits per nine. Trevor Bauer allows half a hit per nine innings. Mike Clevenger allows one and a half hits per nine innings. And then uh, uh, Carlos Carrasco and Corey Kluber, they've started two games, and their games have been pretty rough. And then Shane Bieber actually hasn't started a game this year. But if we kind of want to build off, you know, what these starters in Cleveland did last year, Corey Kluber threw 215 innings to a 289 ERA, and he won 20 games. Oh, crap. Clevenger... Just kind of broke out last year, man. It's 27, 27-year-old season. He threw 200 innings flat last year, do a 302 ERA. Carlos Carrasco, 192 innings at a 338 ERA. These are low ERAs. This is Atlanta Braves' heyday ERA, dude. And then Trevor Bauer, he was injured last season. He missed time. But Trevor Bauer finished with a 198 ERA plus, which was the best on the team. Do 175 and a third innings with a 2.21 ERA. If Trevor stays healthy this year and can just continue to do what he does, we're going to see another like Jacob DeGrom, Jake Arrieta, Doc Gooden, Bob Gibson-esque type historic season. But then they, their fifth starter last year, Shane, don't call me Justin Bieber, threw 114 innings and had an ERA plus just under 100. So His rookie season was kind of just a league average pitcher and ended up actually winning 11 games for the Cleveland Indians. I ran the dude on my fantasy team a little bit, man. He had good numbers. So in one hand, you can look at the Cleveland Indians and be like, well, they're kind of hurting because they got weird stuff with their, um, like with their offense. But when you look at their starters, plus they've got like Brad Hand and Adam Simber in the um, bullpen, 
there's uh there's a lot of potential here, man. Plus, like Terry Francona, best manager in baseball. You can't really underestimate like what he can do. So the AL Central kind of looks disgusting. And you know, one of the questions we'll hear a lot is kind of like, and I think every major league baseball team might have their eye on the Cleveland Indians more as the season goes on because the Cleveland Indians have a lot of good pitching. And teams out there probably wonder, hey, you going to sell any of these guys? You know, I bet the Cubs and the Red Sox or the Yankees, not the Red Sox so much as the Yankees, because the weird thing about the Yankees, man, is they have a good bullpen, but I don't think they've got a number one starter to save their lives. If they have to go to a wild card game this year, they might legit lose it. And uh, it'll be a battle. You know, I don't think Cleveland sells any of these guys because um, – you don't, if you can make the postseason, anything can happen, right? And to me, in my head, it's kind of like the Cardinals won a World Series, I think, in 2006, and they won like 85 games or something like that. They were literally like two or three games over 500. And so I kind of look like this with the Cleveland Indians, where, you know, there's not a whole lot of talk about them right now because Jose Ramirez injured off to a slow start. Frankie Lindor is kind of on the shelf. And, you know, they've lost guys. Like, they traded away Jan Gomes in the offseason. But their pitching is sort of still there, man. And you kind of sort of know how the rest goes with that, dude. A bullpen can kind of flourish, you know. It's sort of like seeing a a flower grow in, like, a cracked concrete sidewalk. So the bullpen, you know, I think could probably totally get it done. I think right now they're getting the job done. And if there are any bullpen guys available to trade deadline, I imagine Cleveland could probably pick them up. You can get good bullpen guys out there. A lot of sleeper bullpen guys sort of like the Cubs got Jesse Chavez last year who's a sleeper dude and they really didn't give up much for him man so keep your eye on the Indians for sure I think damage could be done with them no doubt about it um next on my list oh crap check this out man hold on I'm gonna look at what teams are playing tonight because Chris Davis I'm gonna see if Chris Davis is in the lineup because Chris Davis is three offers away from setting a Major League Baseball record. So right now, Chris Davis is 0 for his last 44. Chris Davis, I'm going to repeat that again. Chris Davis, seven-year, $161 million contract. He's 0 for his last 44 at-bats, right? The MLB record is 0 for 46, and he might set that record tonight if he's in the lineup. Okay, oh crap, bottom of the third, the Orioles, this is Monday night, okay, this is Monday night, and it's uh, like 8, 12 Eastern time, right? So Chris Davis, coming into tonight's game, was 0 for 44, had an on-base percentage of like a buck 90 because he walked, I think, like two or three times or something like that. Otherwise, he's... In his last 44 bats, he struck out like 35 times or something like that. It's bonkers, dude. So I'm going to log in right now, and we're going to tell you if Chris Davis got a hit or if he's even in the lineup. Okay, Chris Davis is in the lineup right now, and he's he's batting 6th, and he's 0 for 2. So currently right now, Chris Davis is 0 for his last 46. So if Chris Davis bats again tonight, his next at bat, if he doesn't get a hit, he will set the all-time Major League Baseball record and be 0 for 47. A lot of weird stuff going on with this Chris Davis, man. Um, Oh, boy. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, so one of the most interesting things about Major League Baseball is Major League Baseball, it giveth and it taketh away with seemingly no explanation. You know, I... 
I've got images of Rick and Keel in my head uh, facing the Braves in the National League Division Series and not being able to find the plate. We had Andrew Jones, who was on a collision course with Willie Mays to be the best center fielder ever. Defensively, Andrew Jones in his prime was probably the best defensive center fielder ever. He hit 50 home runs in a season, and then he hit about 30 years old, and then it just sort of left, right? And that's what it looks like with Chris Davis. Chris Davis, in uh, at the end of 2015, I think, Chris Davis signed a seven-year, $161 million contract after the 2015 season, in which he hit 47 homers, 117 ribbies, and carried an OPS of 923, well above league average, and an OPS plus of 147, 47% better than the league average, and actually he got MVP votes that year. Two years prior to that, 53 homers, 138 RBIs, with 1,004 OPS, and a 168 OPS plus. He was third in MVP voting, 53 home runs. Listen, there. I don't know how many Major League Baseball players in history have hit over 50 home runs, but different players... I mean, what, there cannot be any more than 12 different guys that have hit more than 50 home runs here. I'll tell you right now. Let me get a second. Let me check. All right, well, I was a little off on that. 29 different players have hit 50 or more home runs, and that mark has been reached 45 times. So in a sport that's been played since, gosh, I don't know, probably before like the printing press was developed, smallpox and polio were concerns, before the Model T was invented. We didn't even have sliced bread when baseball started. 29 players in the history of baseball have hit 50 home runs or more, and Chris Davis is one of them, dude. So you're talking a guy that hit 53 home runs in a season that batted 286 with a 370 on base. That's an elite season, okay? But now, all of a sudden, he's 0 for his last 46. Last season, he batted a buck 68. There are pitchers in Major League Baseball that consistently hit better than him. Miles Michaelis hits way better than he does. Max Scherzer hits way better than Chris Davis does. Have you ever seen Chris Davis? His biceps are so big, he looks like he could be in the cast of Predator just shooting that big gun that Jesse Ventura shoots, who's like, I ain't got time to bleed. And he's shooting that big gun going, you know what I'm saying? And it makes that whining noise. Yeah, Chris Davis looks like he could be on the cast of Predator. But he hits like someone who, like Chris Davis is about as good as me at the batting cages right now. And I'm so interested with how these sorts of things happen and how, skill can all of a sudden leave one day you know he had 47 home runs and like he had the year after he signed his contract he had a 110 OPS plus so he hits 10% better than league average okay off seasons happen then but last year in 2018 his OPS plus was 50 meaning he's 50% worse than the average major league hitter. But yet, four years before that, six years, five years before that, he did something that only 
29 players in Major League Baseball history did. Why does this sort of thing happen, man? I'm impressed by this thing. I'm astonished and amazed by it. It's beautifully destructive. How does this happen? And I can't wrap my head around how mental a sport, dude, of Major League Baseball is. And that's why baseball is, to me, so interesting to watch, right? There's no doubt baseball games can put me to sleep. Right, I, I shouldn't say it because I have a podcast, but it's true. Like we all, if you're listening to this podcast, you watch baseball, dude. Baseball games aren't as active as what like basketball is, or football is, or hockey is. But baseball causes the fan. It creates so much thought within the fan when you're looking at all these numbers and all this data and all of these chances, and you've got the most influential players in the game still only get. Four at-bats, five at-bats per game. And so they've got to make their mark, and they've only got a few chances to do it. And to see the the human psyche, but as well as like the physical being of a human go through their processes of four or five at-bats at a game and have to make the most of it when the odds are forever not in their favor— and look at like how they react, how they handle themselves, how they approach it, right? I myself am a classic overthinker, right? So I do improv and I'll be the best improviser in a living room with friends. But the second you put me up on stage, I freeze up. I freeze up because the pressure is on. Everybody's looking at me and everything rides on me and what I'm going to do in this situation. And a, the major league baseball player goes through that every single night. And it's that reason why you see a guy doing something that only 28 other major leaguers have done to all of a sudden not batting as good as the worst hitting pitcher in Major League Baseball who only takes batting practice when he's bored, right? This is so wild. But to me, it's the reason why baseball is so interesting, man. It's, you know, it not only is baseball the working man's game, you know, baseball's forever this blue collar sport where guys like Lenny Dykstra just got a big dip of chew in their mouth. And you look at John Cruck, right? John Cruck didn't go to a gymnasium and do bicep curls and yoga and Pilates like Jake Arrieta does. No, John Cruck got a big dip of chew, ate whatever he wanted and kept his mullet Fresher than you can imagine, right? Fresher than fresh lettuce in the organic section of your Whole Foods. That's how fresh John Cruck was, right? He's a working man, right? That's a blue-collar Philly guy. But also, baseball's the sport where, oddly enough, it's the thinking man's game, right? And there's so much pressure, not only on the human, the athlete, from a physical perspective, but there's an unbelievable amount on the, of pressure on the mental side of the thing, you know, you're looking at you Darvish right now who can't even finish four innings to pitch. And, you know, someone asked me, they said, well, what, you know, what would you do if you were maybe the Baltimore Orioles or Chris Davis, you know? And if I was the Baltimore Orioles and I really cared about Chris Davis because he's got four, if you count this season, Chris Davis has four years left on his contract. I would pay Chris Davis this year, but I would give him the whole entire year off. 
I would give him the year off not to think about baseball. If he wants to hit baseballs every now and then at the cage to keep whatever semblance of timing he has down, let it be. But I would pull him away from the game and for a year, let him do something completely different. I think that's a way to remove tons of tons of pressure. I know when I get on stage and do my improv classes, if I'm practicing improv over and over and over and over again and just beating it in my mind, I find myself pressing too much. And generally that happens when you do something every day because you're, you're obsessing over it. But I'll walk away from it and come back after like a few weeks or a month and it's like I'm a brand new person, and I've put everything in a perspective. And because Chris Davis is in this negative feedback loop of just not being able to recover from his last shitty at bat or his last shitty spring training or his last shitty offseason, he can't catch up. He can't gain a fresh perspective. So I would no doubt if I were the Orioles right this very minute after this game, if he sets the record for Ofers. I send him home and say, listen, Chris, we love you, and we want you to be an Oriole for the rest of your contract, but we've got to fix you mentally because I think that's what it's got to be at this point because it's the mental that's opened up the door to let the physical slide out. So the brain and the, the, the body, they're not talking to each other very well because the brain can't communicate with the body because the brain's got too much going on right now, and it's a lot of pressure he's built on himself. And quite honestly, the Boston or excuse me, the Baltimore Oriole fans are booing him so hard, it's not a healthy environment for him. And if the Orioles are not going to give Chris Davis the year off, they need to go ahead and cut him. And, you know, they're, they're going to have to pay him that money, but they need to DFA Chris Davis so he can just maybe go somewhere else. Maybe another team doesn't sign him this year, so he ends up taking the whole year off. Or maybe he finds a team that's, you know, you could get Chris Davis for the league minimum, and he's he's a good defender at first base, and get him in a different clubhouse with, with a different hitting coach. And, you know, this isn't an indictment on the Orioles hitting coach or the Orioles clubhouse, but a change has to happen, you know, and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And sort of Chris Davis's decline started in 2016 in his age 30 season and then progressed big time in 2017 and is just really skyrocketing right now like a jet engine that Elon Musk is trying to build to fly to Mars. It has to stop now. And But part of me in my head worries that the Baltimore Orioles aren't cutting him because they want him to retire. They want to force him into retirement so they don't have to pay him that money. And honestly, I can't say that I blame him because Chris Davis really hasn't held up to his end of the bargain. But at the same time, the team's really got to empower Chris to, you know, give him a platform to where he can make a change and, you know, get back to, you know, somewhere that's not where he is now. You know, is he ever going to be the 53 home run guy? No, but hell, if he can bat 230 and, you know, hitch a 30 home run, it's a guy you can work with, man. It really is. Greatest show on dirt. Next topic. You know, I guess we'll probably close this thing out, dude. I'm at 46 minutes, but I do want to close out with this. Okay. So when I was a kid, dude, it was, I was born in 83, right? And Roger Maris's record obviously was broken in 1998. And it got me thinking, man. Um, I came across an old sports center 
video the other day with uh, the introduction to Sports Center with like Keith Olbermann and Dan Patrick, and it was sort of like a home run race, dude, where it had like Mark McGuire highlights, Griffey Jr. highlights, Sosa highlights, Frank Thomas, like all these sluggers, dude, at like 94, 95, right? And I'm uh, looking at this, and I'm like, dude, I really miss the home run chases in the 90s where every summer you would have the chase for 62, and you would always have like... What's Ken Griffey Jr. on pace for? What's Barry Bonds on pace for? Or what's Frank Thomas or Palmero or Juan Gonzalez? Like, what are all these guys on pace for? And being a kid, I would be so excited. I would wake up at 5 a.m. with my dad and I would watch SportsCenter on repeat because that's how it was. SportsCenter was, I think, at that point it was 30 minutes long and I would just watch it on repeat over and over until school started. And I would get so excited every morning because I would want to know, hey, what's King Griffey Jr.'s home run pace? What's Tony Gwynn's pace to hit 400? It would excite me so much. So I thought that I would have a segment on this podcast to go over the home run paces of Major League Baseball players and try to get excited about it because really, we know that Maris's home run record's been broken and Hank Aaron's home run record's been broken, right? There's not a home run record left that hasn't jammed a needle up in its ass and got 25-inch biceps, right? It just doesn't exist anymore. But still, I think there's a certain amount of excitement to see if any of today's athletes who are more naturally aspirated than ever could hit 60 or 61 or 62 home runs, right? In 2017, John Carlos Stanton hit 59, and he was must-watch TV for me. Every bat he got up, I was just so excited to know if he would hit 60 home runs. So I think I'm going to do that this year. Maybe every podcast dedicate about a couple minutes to just let you know what the home run paces are. So let's do that right now. So I'm going to get you right now the home run leaders in Major League Baseball right now. So just so I'm not wrong, I'm going to refresh baseball reference real quick and here are our home run leaders right all of major league baseball cody bellinger is first with seven home runs i am super sighted super sighted oh god i gotta learn to record i'm pumped man about cody bellinger's um season this season right because last year he was he got sort of stuck in a platoon situation so cody bellinger maybe only hit like 26 home runs last year. Cody Bellinger's rookie season was a 39 home run guy. And that was a national league record for home runs, dude, for a rookie. Then last season, he only hit 25 home runs and his OPS was down over a hundred points, right? So it was an off season, but he was platooned. Um, what seemed like maybe more than what he was used to, I think. But this season, he's off to a strong start with seven home runs Right, and he's the Major League Baseball leader. So Cody Bellinger's home run pace right now is 88 home runs, right? So yes, home run counter, home run pace, Cody Bellinger on pace to hit 88. That's a Major League Baseball record. I don't care about your small sample size. Stick it up your butt. We're having fun, okay? Um, second in the league is Gary Sanchez with six home runs. And on Sunday, he had a three home run day. Jay Bruce is in a three-way tie for third with five home runs. Jay Bruce, Chris Davis with a K. You damn well know it ain't Chris Davis with a C. He's got five, and Mike Trout has five. Oh, shoot, that's a five-way tie. Paul Goldschmidt and Christian Yelich have five home runs. Now, 
I didn't get the pace for all of those guys, but I do have the home run paces for Mike Trout and Christian Yelich because those are basically like your perennial MVP guys in their respective leagues. Mike Trout right now is on pace to hit 84 home runs, so we're super excited about that. Here's the 84, buddy. Christian Yelich is on pace to hit 79 home runs. Dude, and I'm so curious, man. Listen, there's so many home runs being hit right now. I wonder if they've wound the ball tighter because I would really love to see a home run record. And to me, it's not out of the question, dude. Do I think a Major League Baseball player can hit 70 home runs now without 23-inch guns like Mark McGuire? I 100% believe it because launch angles change in the game, pitching's change in the game, and the baseballs are different. And everyone's really just trying to hit home runs right now. And just so many guys are so many. It seems like more than ever, all these multi-home run games, it was... Last year, the year before, we had like three, four home run games in a season. It was J.D. Martinez, Scooter Jeanette, and or maybe those were the only guys, but they did it like in the span of a week apart from each other. So I'm so curious, dude. I feel like a lot of home runs are going to be hit this year. And honestly, I think someone this season might hit 60 home runs because the ball is flying this season. But that's it, man. That's my home run talk. That's my home run pace. And I'm pumped for it, man. I'm pumped for a home run record. Dude, I would love to see it. I would just love to see someone hit 60, dude. Um, that's it, man. Show's over, dude. I'm going to get off here. I'm going to drink a beer and watch some baseball. And thanks for listening to the show. This is Quentin, greatest show on dirt. Thanks for tuning in. Hope your uh, week is awesome. And we shall talk soon, guys. Thank you so much. Have a phenomenal day. Bye.